Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Hey, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning back into another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today in the hot seat is Mr. Steve Anderson. And let me tell you a little bit more about Steve, and then you'll understand why he speaks so highly of his subject matter expertise. Steve Anderson is an expert in strategic risk and business growth. Drawing on decades of experience in the insurance industry, He wrote The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon, which has become a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international bestseller. With hundreds of thousands of followers, Steve has been handpicked by LinkedIn as one of the world's most influential thought leaders. So y'all are getting ready to hear from a legend. So... (laughs) Let's welcome the man behind it all, Steve Anderson. Hey, thank you so much. It's just great being here with you. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, Steve. And before we dive into those 14 principles to help us grow like Amazon, I want to give the audience a chance to get to know you on a personal level. So I do that by one or two ways, which I'm sure you're familiar because you've done your due diligence with the show. So we could do an icebreaker or play a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? I don't know. Maybe, um, oh, that's a little hard for me to pick. Um, how about an icebreaker? Okie dokie. We're breaking the ice with Steve Anderson. <laughs> Here's the icebreaker. I want you to share something crazy that you have done in your life or a fun and interesting fact about yourself. Well, they're sort of related. So I, I'll actually do both. So cooking is my hobby. Um, and I always tell people that it's a hobby my wife completely supports. So, and the crazy thing is I love experimenting with kind of new cooking techniques. So I actually learned how to make the world's best ice cream using liquid nitrogen. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I have to ask this follow-up <laughs> question. Have you seen this show on Netflix called The Bake Squad or is it, is it cake? Or there's another one called Sugar Rush, where they have a certain amount of time to create these amazing um, products. And some of some of the components that people make are actually ice cream using liquid nitrogen. Yep. And the reason is it it freezes so fast. Right. And so um, so the, the answer to that is I haven't seen all of those shows, but I watch a lot of cooking shows looking for inspiration on new things I could do. Oh, man. You better be glad we don't live close to each other because I am a food connoisseur and critic and I tell people I love food so much I married a chef. Uh, Well, there you go. I I get that. That's fun. Yes. So thank you for breaking the ice, Steve. And now we're going to dive into the meat and potatoes of our segment, which are those 14 principles. But before you got to the 14 principles, who was Steve Anderson before your book? 
So I've been in the insurance industry my entire career, early on selling insurance, primarily to businesses. Um, later in my career, I shifted to helping insurance agents with technology. Uh, and I've been doing that for about 25 years. And as you can probably surmise, the in industry insurance is all about risk reduction, mitigation, policy transfer, right? All those kinds of things. And part of what caught me um, looking at technology and how rapidly it continues to develop was the thought that the biggest risk businesses face today is actually not taking enough risk. And that started me on this journey of looking at businesses in general, not just in the insurance industry, and what either made them grow and successful or why were once very successful businesses no longer here? And I, I mean, a couple of reasons. One is I think it's all about risk-taking in business. And uh, the, uh, one of the phrases I use is that the biggest risk a successful business faces is actually its success. Because I call it the hubris of success. You know, kind of, we made it, therefore we're always going to be here. And I think real quick about Blockbuster. Um, actually, a company, brand new company that was doing um, subscription video rental came to Blockbuster and said, you should buy us. And Blockbuster was like, why? You're, you're hardly anything. Well, as I think you're smiling, that was Netflix. And, you know, again, Blockbuster was very successful until they weren't. And there are a lot of companies, like big name companies uh, like that. But I, I do believe risk-taking became the core of the idea in terms of the, the book. And that's where I came across Amazon and the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos started writing in 1997 and actually wrote up until um, 2021 when he stepped down as, as CEO. And that's what the book is based on, a, a deep look at analysis of those letters and are there things that any business can learn from Amazon's growth? Amazing. And I like that you talked about where you came from because it's all, it's so important to address where we came from because where we came from is not where we're going to be later on in life, but there are valuable lessons that we learned along the way, whether they were from the pain points, the struggle points, the trials, the failures, or et cetera. And that's where success is birthed from, because if you never fail, you're not going to learn from your failures in order to have that growth. And I like that you talk, talked about risk mitigation and being risk averse and et cetera. My background is oil and gas, where I spent 12 years and a total of 15 years in corporate America. And I worked for a Fortune 500 company. So whenever you think about a Shell, a Exxon, a BP, it was one of those companies, but I'm not going to disclose the name for proprietary <laughs> reasons. Yep. And I am in the millennial category. So whenever millennials come into organizations that have been there for a while and we have the generation gap between the millennials and the baby boomers and we're telling them about new technologies different ways of process improvement so we could promote efficiency sometimes they don't want to take those because they see it as a risk but sometimes you need to take those risks in order to keep up with your competitors so whenever you started doing your due diligence and your research to find these 14 principles what was the hardest thing about the research and what was the easiest um, 
the, I think the hardest thing about the research is um, one, understanding that the letters are a narrative. So it's not just each letter each year, but there are themes that I was able to look at. And it took a while to figure out, okay, what, what are these themes and how does this you know, impact? And I think certainly now I, I, I really like to remind people that one, it's unlikely you'll become another Amazon, but that doesn't mean you can't learn from what they did to get where they are today. And that Jeff Bezos started out in a garage, putting books and packages and driving them to the post office. He started out like every other business owner. And I think people for, tend to forget that and think of Amazon as this huge, again, monolithic company. But what really intrigued me was how did they continue to do that? How did they continue to grow and not fall into that trap of actually a, a phrase Bezos uses, unwarranted risk aversion. I think you're absolutely right. The bigger a company gets, typically the more bureaucracy and that just slows down growth and that becomes the biggest, biggest risk. Um, so, and, and I think then it was actually, okay, what are the principles and, and how do I uh, encapsulate those in a way that people can understand? I, I tend to get very data oriented and, and so I would say the hardest part was finding or putting stories around the principle to illustrate it so people resonate with them. Mm, okay, to get people to connect the dots. Yeah, because I think sometimes people often get caught up in imposter syndrome because they see um, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, they see Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, and some of the other big names out there. And they're like, I want to do that. But we have to remember that we all have our own zone of genius. You could take bits and pieces from these successful people, but don't allow your visions, your goals and dreams to become stagnant because you're never going to be Jeff Bezos. You're never going to be Elon Musk, but you can be you today and build your foundation, build your legacy and your own empire using some of the um, foundational principles that they have established that has worked right for them. So totally agree. Yep, I absolutely agree. Let's talk about these 14 principles. And I want you to go in chronolo chronological order, because I'm sure the audience is like, yeah, 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 we, we hear y'all talking, but what are these 14 principles? But I tell them, you know, you have to be slow and steady, because the early bird does get the worm, but how can the bird sustain the nutrients from the worm? Yep, exactly. Well, what I did, 14 is a lot. I'll acknowledge that. We don't have time to talk about them all. And what I did was group them or categorize them into what I call cycles, growth cycles. So test is the first and then build. So once you've tested an idea, you think it's got legs, what do you have to do to build it? And then once you start building it, what do you do to accelerate that growth? And then the fourth is scale. How do you scale as a company and not lose that um, uh, mindset, that excitement? It's what Bezos calls day one thinking. How do you keep that day one idea of a brand new startup? In fact, uh, um, uh, Mark Cuban, billionaire, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, he calls Amazon the world's greatest startup. And, and, you know, that's kind of a crazy thought when you think about it, but 
part of what they've built using some of these growth principles is this idea of inventing on behalf of the customer and continuing to push the envelope and not rely on their success going forward. So, you know, let me pick a couple out of each. So the, the first principle in the test cycle is called encourage successful failure. And you just alluded to that a few minutes ago, right? That you've got failure is part and parcel. And the, and the way Bezos describes it is that you have to experiment. And if you're going to experiment, you're going to fail. Because if you experiment and you know you're not going to fail, it's not an experiment. So experiment allows you to invent. And that's where I think people get things wrong today. They're talking about innovation, which is part of the process, but it's more on the other end. Experiment allows you to invent. And then once you invent, you can make it better by innovating and improving it. So that's the the first principle. And Bezos calls Amazon the world's best place for an employee to fail because they don't punish failure. They actually encourage experimentation and are willing to, quote, suffer a series of fails experiments because the ones that pay off can pay off really big. So again, quick, encourage successful failure, bet on big ideas, and practice dynamic invention and innovation. So that means every employee at Amazon is expected to invent and find better ways to doing wherever they are in whatever part of Amazon they are. So that's the first three principles. I like those first three principles because it also, you know, sparks that creativity. And whenever your creative juices are flowing, you feel like not only are you seen, but you're heard and what you have is valuable. You're adding value to your organization and your organization is adding value back to you. So you see that 360 effect and you really understand the return on investment because we invest our times when we work for an employer, but we also want to get something out of that investment because let's be real. Sometimes people spend more time at work than they do at home. Absolutely. Yep. For those who are in the entrepreneurship bucket, I think you don't necessarily have to go work for a company to understand these principles. You could find a really good mentor. You could hire a business coach or someone to help give you the guidance. But the most important step is whenever someone gives you the guidance, you have to see it as a partnership and take that guidance and apply what you learn. And you apply it by taking actions. Agreed. Yep. So So the second is build. So three in there, obsess over customers, which I think is, again, a really interesting choice of words. And that is Bezos' words. Uh, He wrote about it in the very first 1997 letter saying that, you know, at Amazon, we will obsess over our customers. And, And again, businesses talk about customer service, customer focus, customer journey, um, customer support, but at Amazon, they obsess over customers. And, and again, I, there's a lot to unpack there. The second one in the build cycle is apply long-term thinking. And this one's kind of hard in terms of so much of businesses are focused on short-term results, not long-term. So Amazon didn't make a profit for its first 15 years. And they were reinvesting their money 
into what was required to obsess over customers. So they have three customer pillars um, still today. Wide selection, the everything store. Yeah, what can you find on Amazon? Well, not quite everything, but just about. Um, low pricing. And so again, Amazon's known for that and fast delivery, right? They're prime early on, crazy idea. And now one day, one hour in some cases, depending on, on where you live. And, and Bezos says, we can't imagine a day when a customer will want less selection, higher pricing and slower delivery. And so that focus on developing their fulfillment network and their logistics and everything that goes into clicking on that buy button and that package actually showing up when they said it would on your front porch. And then the third there is under in build is understand your flywheel. And that's a long discussion. Uh, I, I will simply point to another book, um, Jim Collins, good to great book. Chapter eight is called the doom loop and the flywheel. And the story is that Jim Collins in August of 2001 was invited to Amazon to talk to the senior leadership team about the flywheel at Amazon. And they spent a whole day talking about it, diagramming it, writing it down. And Amazon still follows that flywheel today. So again, important, I would say understanding your flywheel is probably the hardest to understand and the hardest to execute. But when you can, it's a really powerful growth um, machine is really what I want to say. Yeah. All right. Ready for the next one? Yeah. Let me just chime in here. Okay. And it's really great that you said understand because sometimes people just sit at the surface level and we don't take the time to really uh, go deep diving and dig in. And whenever you dig in, that's where the gems are, where the diamonds, the rubies and all of that, because you can't always just see something looking at the surface level. If you want to uncover it to see the richness and the vastness, you have to dig deep. So I like how you mentioned understand. And I think that's something that everyone could apply, no matter if they're an employee or entrepreneur. Well, and I would say one of the interesting things in, in, Jim Collins wrote a couple of years ago, kind of a follow-up short, very short monograph book just on the flywheel. And one of the examples he gives in there is an elementary school principal who wanted to increase the test scores of her students. And I, again, I won't take the time to explain it all, but it, it's, it applies in whole, a lot of different areas, not just business. So very interesting, I think. All right, accelerate. Yes, right. let's accelerate. Now we've tested, we've built, now we're going to accelerate. And there are four principles here. Generate high velocity decisions. Um, and again, at Amazon, um, Bezos describes that company you worked for, whoever that might have been, <laughs> as when a company grows, there is a tendency to get more bureaucratic. You have supervisors and managers and regional VPs and right the decision making process tends to be multi level, and he says that kills growth. But high velocity decision making means you allow capable groups of uh, small groups of people to go ahead and make decisions and it kind of alludes back to that 
encourage successful failure. You said some decisions are really consequential. You need to take a lot of time. But he said most decisions in a business are not. You can decide, move forward. And if you don't like the, the results, if you don't like the decision, you actually just pivot, make a different decision. And, and when you do that, you increase the possibility for growth. Next is make complexity simple. This again starts alluding back to obsess over customers. And, and actually that phrase came to me when Amazon announced it was acquiring a company called PillPack, which was a pharmacy company. And I was listening to a um, CEO from one of the Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, you know, one of the pharmacy companies. And he, he made this statement, well, I'm not worried about Amazon coming into the pharmacy business because it's more complex than they realize. And I, I literally said out loud in my car, that's what Amazon does is they make complexity simple, right? And again, I could give you lots of examples there. Next is accelerate time with technology. So Amazon, very technology focused, no question about that. And they, they eagerly adopt new trends. And I think, again, that's a mindset change. And then the fourth is promote ownership. So a simple example of that is in the shareholder letters, typically, you know, dear shareholder is the salutation, right? Bezos started using dear share owner because he said, we want people to own our stock who believe in what we're doing and are here for the long term. So again, alluding back to that long-term thinking. So those are the four in the accelerate cycle. And in the accelerate cycle, you could see the empowerment, you could see the determination, you could see the need to, yes, even though we take on complexities, we're going to make them simple because that is what we do. And when we make things simple, people are be like, okay, that's a company that I could get, get in on. And not only did he acquire a pill pack and now in the pharmaceutical space, the groceries, uh, yes. whenever they um, acquired the Whole Foods and they had, uh, what is it, Amazon Fresh or something? Well, they had, so they started with Amazon Go, which is a convenience type store, and they invented what is called just walk out shopping. So I've been into a couple of those stores. You scan your app and, and kind of subway gates open and you can walk in the store, you pick off the shelves and this is now Amazon Fresh, same technology, bigger store. You pick off what you want, put it in your basket, and literally there is no checkout. You just walk out. They have tracked based on shelf sensors, cameras, machine learning, lots of technology around it, but they know what you put in your basket. And so they just charge you for it. And so, again, that's partly make complexity simple. That's part, you know, again, it, it touches on a number of different principles there, but I'm fascinated with that type of technology and uh, what they can do with it. Yeah, I would love to learn more about that technology, especially having a degree in supply chain and logistics and tech. So I like doing things that are fast and process improvements. And I'm wishing that Costco would have a scan and go kind of like Sam's Club, because I yep. have to have both. And my husband's like, babe, we don't need both. And I said, yes, we do, because there's such stuff I can oh, get at. Sam's. Yeah, there's, 
there's some good things you want at one and not at the other. I get that. I have both too. So, but yes, yeah, making so it again, that's partly customer obsession too, right? What's the worst thing about grocery shopping? The lines. Checkout, the checkout. And the lines are worse now. And the self-checkouts never really quite work, mm-hmm. right? Ex- versus literally just walking out. I mean, it, it's, it, I feel like I'm shoplifting. I mean, literally, you kind of look around a little bit and it's like, whoa, wait, is this okay? <laughs> so, Mr. Steve, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wish I would have asked that you think would add value to our listeners? Well, Before I have we- to, I have to add one, at least one more principle in the scale cycle, because I think it's really important. Okay. And it's for, principle 14. It's called believe it's always day one. And I alluded that a little bit earlier when Bezos talks about this idea of day one, and he, he talk, first talks about it in the original letter, 1997, when he says, again, this is 1997, internet was brand new. Nobody even knew you could do things, right, that we do today. And what he said was, it's day one for the internet and for amazon.com if we execute well. Well, fast forward to 2017, and Bezos was in front of several thousand employees on a stage in a theater in Seattle for an all-hands meeting, a common occurrence. Went through some company updates, and then he opens it for Q&A from employees, and they submit their questions on a card. And he had a note card in his hand, and the question was, Jeff, what does day two look like? And he sort of smirked, and uh, he said, I-, I think I have the answer to this because I've thought about this a lot. And what he said was, day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by painful, excruciating decline, followed by death. And that's why it's always day one. And I think that mindset is so important today. And again, back to what I started with, this idea of the hubris of success versus a startup day one mindset, always looking at, okay, what are we doing next to help our customers? Mm. And I don't know why when you just said that is um, about day one, it made me bring into remembrance what my dad um, always taught me. And he passed in November of 2020. And he said, the past is gone. You can't recreate it. The present is now. You can live in it. And the future, you never know what the future holds, but you can plan for it. So why not be present? And then he would always say, everything in a hurry doesn't end up right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, dad, come on. Because like sometimes <laughs> I would be like, go, 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 go. And then now that I'm older, coming into motherhood and et cetera, I realize that the principles that he instilled are so true. And by golly, I wish you were here today. Because... Oh, I know. I understand that. So, yep. Very yeah. true. Very true. So I really like that day one um, principle because I think it's so important to focus focus on the present. And once you get the present, then you can plan ahead. Yep, exactly. Yep, I like that. So let's jump into the call to action, Steve. What is your call to action for the audience outside of going and grabbing that copy of your book? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that probably is, is top. But I think, that, I think the call to action is... Um, I I would say really the first step is this idea of successful failure, 
right? Don't be, a, and in fact, I, the way I phrase it, if you're a business owner, you have employees, help them understand that experimentation is part of the process, which means there's going to be failure. I, I'm personally convinced that employees aren't afraid of failure, but they are afraid of the consequences of failure. Meaning, it, 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 actually, the way I describe it is, what's your employee award for the most successful failure? How are you encouraging people to take some of those risks? And, and I want to say, that's not stupid risks, right? That's not, let's just do whatever. It's very thoughtful. It's very intentional. And you can't always know, right, what the future is. Be in the present, make the best decision you can, and then continue to move forward. And I want you to hold up the book so those watching oh. the video can see the cover yep. of your book so they know which one to buy. So there you go. <laughs> tell us. And, um, and it is available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the book came out and you wrote it on Jeff Bezos letters to the shareholders, have you thought about sliding in his direct message or sending him a copy of the book and say, you left such an impact on me. This is what I did with the 14 letters. Yes. Well, so um, to the best of my knowledge, he has at least seen the cover. um, And I do know through a network connection in Seattle that Andy Jassy, who is the current CEO that took over from Jeff Bezos, has actually, um, I, I can't guarantee he's read the book, but he's actually gotten a physical copy of the book. So, yes. Um, And I uh, actually am in the process of seeing if I can set up a short interview with Andy Jassy to talk about the process of writing these letters, because he wrote his first one that came out in April for 2021. Amazing. And then tell the audience how they could connect with you, Steve, via your website and where you primarily primarily hang out in the social media metaverse. Yes. So the website for the book is called thebezosletters.com. There's information there. Uh, and, uh, and and actually uh, a little bit of a workbook if you do buy the book to help you apply the principles. And I would say we structured the book so that at the end of every chapter, there's three or four questions for you to ponder. Because I, I didn't want to write a book this kind of was nice, right? But I wanted people to be able to apply it. Uh, And then social platforms, I'm on LinkedIn, primarily. And uh, Steve Anderson or Steve Anderson Bezos or Bezos book, probably will, you'll find me there. Um, I have a pretty large presence on LinkedIn. Amazing. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of Gems Podcast. Our special guest today was Steve Anderson with the Bezos Letters. All of his contact information will be in the show notes. So make sure you scroll on down, read and tap in with him. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. You could also see the video by heading on over to our YouTube channel, which is at gems with genesis amaris camp and lastly but not least thank each one of you for tuning in on a consistent basis to support the subject matter experts that i bring on to bring you topics that are educational 
inspirational and motivational while we weave in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because it does take all of us coming together to make this world a better place. And if you want to be a brand sponsor, you could do so. Spaces are limited, but you can find out more information by heading on over to genesisamariskemp.net. Until next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.